This episode of Eye to Eye is brought to you by Janique Locks. If you're looking to get started, there's no better place. She specializes in all kinds. Dreadlocks, micro locks, sister locks, lock extensions, instant locks, interlocking, and more. If you're in the 757, please don't hesitate to contact her. You can find her on Instagram at Janique Locks. That's G-E-N-I-Q-U-E-L-O-C-S, Janique Locks. Or you can find her at her website, JaniqueLocks.com. Janique Locks, where locks are envied. All right, let's go ahead and start this podcast, man. to exist because of the color of my skin. And people who discredit that, they they don't get it. They don't understand that. <laughs> they really, really don't. No. And it's just, I don't know, you know, we, we can talk about reaching breaking points. I think I hit my breaking point a long time ago. Right now, I'm just, I'm in a position where I understand that there's power and peace. Because there has to be a peace that transcends all understanding. Because I sure enough don't understand this. I'm still game enough to have a conversation with people who really don't understand as well and think that it's okay. I'll tell you that this one struck me differently than George Floyd or Ahmed Aubrey because at that time it felt like we were so much on an island that there weren't enough people mm-hmm. who didn't who weren't black or who didn't identify with you know people in that way and it felt like we were alone and now this one this one was different instead of being sad and helpless, I was like, wow. Okay. So here's, here's kind of the, that first big one since this has happened and you're seeing, you're seeing it, it there, people are throwing down more than they used to. And what's kind of mind boggling to me is still these leaps in logic that people have who are still wanting to defend the actions. And I've seen a couple people post something, well, you know, unless we're law enforcement, then, you know, how do we know how they're supposed to handle the situation? And, you know, maybe this and that and this. Okay, so you, you preface that with, unless we're law enforcement, and then you proceed to explain how law enforcement should handle things. <laughs> but you're not law enforcement. So, so right then and there, you lose a lot of credibility just by setting it right. up that way. The second thing is, I, I'm not law enforcement, but I'm, you know, a, a human being who has some logical ability and some ability to reason. And when I look at something like this, I have to think, you know, a couple of different things. The first one being, if this is the training kicking in, then the training's wrong. Okay? Because this, no one thinks that this is how it should work when you're watching this. So the training's wrong. So if the training's wrong, we need to fix the training. If they didn't follow the training, then the training's not good enough. The whole purpose of training is so that you don't revert back to your senses. You don't revert back to your instincts, that you overcome those things because your training is so strong 
that you will simply react to what you've been trained to do. So it's either the training is terrible or the training's improper. There's really no other way around that. That means that once again, I guess accountability is kind of the word of the, the night tonight. We need to hold people accountable because the people who choose to be in law enforcement are being compensated. They have the free will to go and choose that job. They're deciding to be in a leadership position within their community. The people who are encountering law enforcement are not choosing the same thing. So I'm sorry if somebody has a criminal record or somebody's intoxicated or somebody did X, Y, Z. There's a different level of accountability that comes with it because someone's choosing to put themselves in that situation. Now, I commend them for that. I appreciate their service. But we're clearly seeing a flaw in either how they're being trained or what they're being trained to do. There's something going wrong here. So either they're being trained incorrectly or putting you know, our knees on somebody's neck, which means we're being trained incorrectly, or they're simply ignoring their training altogether. Well, the whole system has to be fixed then in that regard. You can't continue to just say, well, you don't know how you would react in that situation. You're right. I don't know how I react because I'm not trained to react in that situation, but they're supposed to be. So they should know how they're going to react. Right, right. It's it's interesting. It's impressive, actually, um, because I know that, you know, if we're if we're having an honest conversation about the development of how they're being trained, and no, I don't know everything, uh, but the the history of the of of I guess the system as far as the militarization standpoint, yeah, um, what that we see now, you know, the SWAT teams and things of that nature, uh, a lot of that was developed. Uh, my brother put something on Insta a while back about the LAPD and about some cat named Parker and how they were some of the most corrupt racist uh, folks that you would ever see. And I mean, admittedly at that time frame, late fifties, early sixties, uh, that's what you were dealing with across the nation. So it would make a hundred percent sense that stuff like that happened. Um, but yeah, they, they created these protocols that never existed before. They, they expressed very, very uh, intentionally the, the desire to, to dress folks in combat gear that they had never had before, especially after, uh, what was it, the 62 riots in L.A.? Yeah. You know, they, they wanted to make sure that everybody was ready. Well, you know, you wouldn't have needed that in the first place if people were doing the right thing. So let's not have that conversation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, if, if, if we want to take it a step further, though, and I'm all for this, I'm not about, quote unquote, defunding the police. I am about reallocating those funds to the places that they need to go and making right. sure that the police are still paid handsomely to do their job. Right. That's cool. Oh, you mean the actual definition of what defund the police means? Oh, yeah. I just oh, I okay. wanted to be petty. And yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, thanks for expanding uh, on yeah, that. If, yeah. <laughs> no, not a problem. Not a problem. Glad, glad to help. Uh, glad to help. But no, if we're talking about things like community policing, um, and, and putting that stuff in order. And, and, you know, there are some, there are some officers who do this brilliantly. There's some cat by the name of T Norman. I've been following on Insta for years out in the middle of Arkansas that loves the community that he polices in. And he is forever putting his people on video. And I mean, it, it don't matter who they are, cute little kids, old folk, uh, homeless folk. I mean, just helping the community out. Um, and this is a white man. You know, don't get it twisted. Maybe he got a little bit of soul in him because he married a black girl, but you know, he, <laughs> he still got the, the most bumpkin fied accent that I've ever heard in my entire life. But the man, you can tell he genuinely loves that community. And because of that, 
he does a lot less arresting folk and a lot more impacting the lives of the people that he serves. And we also have to remember that they are public servants. Right. You know what I'm saying? They're peacekeepers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But they are comprehensive public servants too, which means that it's not just one size fits all. You're not just serving one set of people in denial of others. You know, but but that's what happens. You know, it's not about the 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 servant protect that we see that gets glamified and glorified when we're looking at all of these different issues and situations. You know, it's nothing like the actual practice that's supposed to be taking place. And you know what? We can blame that on take your pick. We we can go back to media, which by now I think everybody knows exactly how much I'm not a fan of media for the most part. Um, We can blame it on a variety of things. But the infrastructure of all this goes back to addressing the root. And the initial root was the most racist, slave-driven thing ever. (laughs) Have that conversation. And then let's see if somebody wants to take a look at it through that lens and recognize that the exact same thing is still happening. I mean, yeah, forget biblical application for like two seconds. Like, we are talking about U.S. history. Yeah, I mean, we can talk about real-life application. You know, because because the Bible is supposed to apply to that stuff. Um, there's some compartmentalizing that I kind of want to do here because it was the thought that jumped in my head when you mentioned the the militarization of the police because that's a term that's been mm-hmm. been used a lot and it's something that we're obviously seeing. If you look at the equipment that these police officers have now, it's not just the SWAT team. It's like all police officers now have this militarized equipment. They have you know, uh, heavy weaponry. They have uh, these these suits that they're able to wear and, and it's just a totally different setup. And what's interesting to me is that when we, when people who are more in the lane of pro defund the police or reallocate funds that are currently going toward police departments versus the people who are not pro that, when you hear someone say militarize the police, well, the opposite side is going to be, well, what's wrong with that? We love our military. And so you immediately kind of lose them because they're not able to compartmentalize what the difference is. And what I know about the military, because I've seen multiple people who are in the military speak to this, is that the amount of training that they receive, it's not even comparable to the amount of training that law enforcement receives, nor... And it's ongoing, yeah. Nor is the ongoing training they receive anywhere in the same arena of comparability. On top of that, the protocols, guidelines, responsibilities, and accountability within the military is not even close to the nonsense that we've seen police departments be able to get away with. So when we talk about militarizing the police, we're talking about giving them military-style equipment and yet not giving them any type of the military level of training, accountability, or protocols. So that's the problem. You're basically giving, you know, unequipped people very high-level tools that they, they don't even know how to use properly. And that's the difference. But when you... When people aren't able to kind of compartmentalize those arguments, they just run wild with, oh, well, you know, so now you're dogging the military too. And it's like, no, that's not it at all. Actually, what I'm telling you is that I absolutely respect the military and how they handle their business far more than how strong unionized police departments 
have handled their business because the military doesn't work that way. You don't get away with riffraff in the military. Like you're out. That's it. <laughs> you keep screwing up. Mm. You're done. It's a very different situation. It most certainly is. I don't know, man. I just, um, I just, I keep thinking about, I think it's just like you're saying, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to process everything that this conversation is going to bring again. God, like I shoot, I'm trying not to cry. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I can't even get there because I have to first be happy at the fact that this man is still alive. Right. And, you know, celebrate the fact that even though he may not walk again. Right. Because apparently that's about to be a thing. Um, yeah, I heard the same thing. He, yeah, mm-hmm. he's at least able to breathe and potentially tell his story. And hopefully we can see some some justice. And again, you know, to the whole qualified immunity thing, you know, I did I did want to speak to that for like two seconds. Um, got an amazing article from a friend of mine's friend uh, that I might share. I'm not really going to go into too much detail with it. I would actually like to just have this dude on so we could interview him and talk about this. Um, but, you know, I just, I, I wanted to to speak to the understanding of natural law. You know, Martin Luther King did this when he was addressing folk. Um, in his letter from from the Birmingham prison. And, you know, nothing's changed from then. And it just pretty much um, speaks on galvanizing people and galvanizing concepts uh, concerning what is right. And, you know, what is right is basically what is ingrained in all of our hearts off the jump and how qualified immunity is not one of those things. You should not be able to get off scot-free, in short, is what I'm saying. Uh, because of your vocational occupation, which is pretty much what qualified immunity is. Right. Um, and so, yeah, he breaks down a lot of awesomeness in this article concerning uh, natural law and then the measure of positive law. Positive law is pretty much what they call a secular theory. Um, it's not biblically based. Um, and uh, basically what it does is it kind of dismisses the practical reason of natural law. And natural law would say this is wrong. Like, it would be wrong for you to be able to get away with murder just because you work work in such and such occupation. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, there maybe there's a means of some type of restorative justice. Maybe it's involuntary manslaughter. Maybe it's, I really did make a mistake and I'm sorry. And, you know, just the ability to be able to own up in that. And again, you know, I just, I, I don't want anybody to feel like we are bashing law enforcement because I love law enforcement. Like, I understand that if we're having a real conversation, we're having it about like what, two to 5% of the entire nation's law enforcement setup. Right. I know that not all of them are D bags. Um, I do also know that, you know, any organization can have a tendency to quote unquote hide behind its shield. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it's, 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 this 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 ain't nothing new. I get understand that. <laughs> I mean, we just talked at length about pastors doing it. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know. So yeah, I mean, you know, it's just it's it's one of these. I don't know, man. It's just one of these things where, again, I'm just I'm really glad that this man is alive. Hopefully, w- this will be a conversation that leads to some type of reform, reformation, whatever you want to call it. Um, I really, you know, I, I long to see the day that this is no longer even a conversation, you know, and that's just, that's across the board. That is the police reform. That is 
um, African-Americans working through the process of forgiveness and restorative justice. That is everything that we could imagine this would be, you know. Um, but until then, obviously, we are in a state where uh, my skin color puts me in the state of a clear and present danger. And we have to be able to acknowledge and we have to be able to to respect that. Um, because if not, again, I just, I don't know. You know, I I love the fact that I can tell crazy. I I got some crazy stories to tell. You know what? Just just bump it. Let me let me just go on the record and say that I should have been ticketed and maybe even jailed more times than I would like to admit. But I wasn't because police officers <laughs> did some real real awesome stuff and let me off the hook. Um, <laughs> you know, what I'm saying I should have explained something to the magistrate uh, that one time that I had to use the restroom and I didn't have a license because I lost it and could not get into any of the clubs. This is back when I was backsliding, yes. Um, and so the downtown Norfolk garage became my restroom, and that would be the one time Willing to that a police boldly car go. would actually come into that joint. You know, I'm, I'm serious, man. And then no, there was one time I was leaving I was leaving the house. I feel like I, I you know, I just got to do these things. But I remember one time I was leaving the house here, and uh, I forget where I was going. It didn't matter. Uh, but the crazy thing was we had had a string of robberies right. in our neighborhood, which if you know Harborview, that's that's just it's weird. It's not it's not normal. Um, so uh, we actually had some cars on patrol. And I just remember I left the house. Our speed limit is 25. I was at least going 35. Um, I shown up, didn't stop at at least two stop signs. <laughs> you know, my, my music was blaring. So I mean, I'm sure that was a noise violation in the middle of, of beautiful Harborview Yo, it was hilarious, man. This this police officer pulls me over and he gets out the car. He comes up to me. And I kid you not, after asking a series of questions and some other stuff, I think I think I even think, I think like my other inspection was expired. Like a or, walking cliche. Um, my, my <laughs> or my registration. Bro, I was riding about <laughs> as dirty as you could ride without being like real dirty. Verbatim, these words came out of his mouth. He's like, yo, you're killing me, man. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, look, man, I really didn't want to have to write anything, but geez, Luis, there's 18 Bro. things. But he was just like, yo, and, and, and he still let me off. Wow. So I'm like, bro, yeah, I, I know. Because he, I mean, he knew. I was just like, you know, I was in my neighborhood not not being right. But he knew, I think he could tell that I wasn't a horrible person. I hope so. You know, like there wasn't a robbery in process, so he didn't have to jet like that. Um, but yeah, you know, so I, I understand, you know, the... This is on both sides of the spectrum here. Not every police officer is evil. Um, and and also not every police officer is a saint. Right. Uh, so, you know, the, so I, I just feel like I had to say that because I just, I want y'all to know. I love law enforcement. I really do. I appreciate them. But some of them deserve justice on the other side. Yeah. It, it's not, <laughs> I just don't understand why we rush in this country to pick sides. Like, can't we just be on the side of justice and what's right? Like, can't, why can't police officers or people who support them admit, yeah, look, there's a lot of things that need to change. There's a lot that need, as opposed to, oh, quit with this, quit with that. Like, why do we have to just staunchly defend every position on the extremes? I mean, there's plenty of nuance that can be done. There's plenty of meat in the middle that can be done. And that's just, that's a human thing that needs to happen on top of a biblical thing. And, you know, all this talk about law enforcement and black people interacting with law enforcement is going to bring me to uh, 
my white folk wonder for the week. And oh, I, Lord. I didn't, uh, I actually didn't prep Jordan for this one. We had talked about a couple other options, but he doesn't know about this one. So I'm going to kind of spring this one on him, but I, you know, he might like this one. So last night, my wife and I watched the first episode of Lovecraft Country, which is a new Ooh. HBO show, which is totally insane. We're watching this show and it, it's in the 50s. A, a black man comes back from fighting in Korea, comes back to kind of the South slash Midwest, and he's trying to track down his dad. And as they're driving through different areas, different states, different counties, uh, it's him, his uncle, and uh, a girl who's with them. And they, they run into law enforcement in a couple different occasions. They run into people who are racist in a couple different occasions. And what was crazy to both of us was, for those of you that watched the show Watchmen last year, that show is so incredibly wild in how it predicted, like, what was going to happen in 2020. Like, everybody's wearing face masks. <laughs> There's, like, they flip. They do a juxtaposition where Chill out. all of the police are are black and all of the criminals are white, like it, it versus what we normally see. Like all this stuff that was going on was so crazy, and it spoke so much into what was eventually going to happen. I think that show ended uh, maybe in like December. It's kind of like the end of last year, and then fast forward three months, and it's like holy cow! They just predicted everything in 2020. Well, this show, in a similar way. This show is, is, it's a complete project for HBO and it's a big budget show and it's got all kinds of stuff going on. So there's no way that this show was shot in the last couple of months, you know, kind of right. post COVID, post the Black Lives Matter movement and George Floyd. There's no way that was done. And that means that when they wrap this up and now they're releasing it, there's so much going on in this show that. Jamie and I look at each other and we're like, I don't think this stuff could have gone on pre what's going on. Like the, the nation is now talking about something, becoming more aware of these issues that they're going to be more acceptable and interested in these issues. Where if this thing released last year, uh, it probably would have been received in a very different way. Yet it was being shot and produced last year. So the ambition that it had and kind of the foresight that it had is pretty remarkable. So when you watch the show, so much so that there's one scene where they encounter, uh, it's a racist encounter at a, a gas station. The guy gets back in the car and drives off. And as the car moves out of the way, directly behind them, I kid you not, is an Aunt Jemima billboard in the 50s. And it was like, how, what? I mean, maybe that's added in post a month ago, but still, I'm just like, how is this? How did they see this? And <laughs> so how does this lead to wow. my, my white folk wonder? All right. So here's how this leads. So I think that culture drives perspective in a lot of ways. And I was thinking about a project like this or a project like Watchmen or uh, more recently, uh, just the different movies that have been going on and different TV shows that are more bringing kind of the black experience and not just the black community, but in more of a mainstream way. So shows like Atlanta and, you know, there's the Black Panther, the movie, you know, just different things have kind of brought it more to the, the, the kind of the front and center part of our, 
our culture. So I was thinking about this and movies like that or shows like that over the last, say, 20 or 30 years, the most powerful ones tended to stay in the Civil War era or slavery era. So it allowed people to think, oh, well, we've overcome that because that was 150 years ago. There was still some civil rights movies, you know, we, Sel- but Selma's more recent. But there were, there were some of those movies, you know, Malcolm X, different things like that. But those still felt like they were kind of in the past, where more recently we've had more contemporary storytelling or the storytelling being done in a different way. Like uh, Django Unchained is a very different telling of the Civil War mm-hmm. slave movie. Even 12 Years a Slave is a very different telling of the Civil War slave story. It's different than glory, right? Um, then you kind of look at like a Fruitvale Station, where it's like that's a more modern topic, a more modern event that played out and it was now put to film. So, yeah. I, so what I'm wondering is, as a, a white person, <laughs> did I just miss a lot of shows or media or movies or was it just not kind of mainstream that dealt with a more modern contextualizing of what what we're seeing with you know race relations or am i is my view of what was going on pretty spot on where we we kept all those stories so far in the past that we never really had to reckon with them still existing today uh wow that's a good question um i would say I would say it was right under your noses, mm-hmm. but you really, really couldn't tell because there was no true significance. And the significance is, was kind of brought on by just a series of different changes. Um, us becoming a more sensitive nation, us becoming a more PC nation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there were certain things that you would have seen in movies or in TV shows uh, even 15, 20 years ago that, you know, dang well, you're not going to see now. Like, just, it, it cannot happen. Um, but even speaking to that, you know, there were TV shows, like, what were they talking about? Uh, the Golden Girls, I think Little House on the Prairie. Yeah. I think you saw those. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the stuff that they were showing on Instagram right around that time. Yeah. Uh, when Blanche Devereaux was so <laughs> yeah. upset that... Uh, Don, Don Cheadle. Don Cheadle. Was, yeah, 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 yeah. You saw that. You saw so. Yeah, I mean, it was. It, I think it was one of those things where the case could be stated that it was. It was very, very right there in front of everybody, um, but because all you saw, and I guess is the easy way to state it, all you saw was Rodney King that one time on video. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Uh, but you didn't see what was happening to everybody else. Right. Um. You know. Uh, the, Thank God for technology. And I, I say that yeah. as much as I would say curse technology. But, <laughs> uh, you know, w- without it, you know, I'm sorry. These these phones, yeah. they, 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 they tell a story that's, that should have been told a long time ago. Yeah, you know we talked I mean? about that before. Even, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know, we have the conversation again, like what we talk about Emmett Till. Or the fact that nobody knew about Black's Wall Street until, right. uh, you know, and, and, yeah, until, until Watchmen came out. Like, Again, it's it's been right under everybody's noses, but it just 
it really wasn't worth the conversation because no one really had to face it. You know, someone really could have just assumed that there wasn't really a history lesson to be had in what you could have seen on that Golden Girls episode or something like that. Because I'm pretty sure outside of Black History Month, when, I mean, even back in the day, I'm pretty sure they were saying pick that cotton faster, but, you know, I'm pretty sure that, that the process of slavery was downplayed. I can tell you that the process of slavery was downplayed. Sure. Because I was a youth during that time. And even when I got the opportunity to learn about my history and my culture at that particular point in time, it was just one of those things where we understood that Black folks picked that cotton faster and maybe they got a whooping, but we didn't get all of the intimate details that were involved in that. We right. didn't get all the stories of mammies having to nurse white babies and watching their black babies die because they didn't have milk for them. You know what I'm saying? Like, is the, the, it, it, it takes that. It's almost like what we were talking about last week with Hamilton. We didn't know all of the intricacies of Hamilton's life, but they all played their part in that. Right. You know, there was so much that probably played a part in all of the things that we don't know concerning a Black Wall Street, concerning the life of MLK, concerning the life of, of, of whomever. You know what I'm saying? That now we have the opportunity to witness. And it's like, it's an awakening. It's a great awakening in a sense. And I'm not talking about no QAnon nonsense. Like this is, <laughs> this is legitimately the stuff that yeah. people needed to see that's been right under our noses. And here's the yeah. thing, even though I joke around about the QAnon stuff, like, we can rock a million conspiracy theories all we want to, which, by the way, no, don't do that. But this isn't conspiracy theory stuff. This is actual history right. that was never reported and now it's being reported to ensure that it's not repeated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's a it's kind of a round-robin way of saying, yeah, no, I mean, I don't, I don't blame no white folk, but they didn't know. Yeah. There's no way. I was trying to think about the the different stories that we were being told as well. Cause that's, I think that's kind of the, the main thing I'm seeing is that there is more of an empowerment toward uh, black filmmakers or black artists coming onto the mainstream. You think about, you know, Donald Glover and what he's able to do with Atlanta. You think about uh, Steve McQueen and releasing 12 years a slave and it ends up winning best picture and, that that movie is probably the most disturbing and jarring movie that I've ever seen. And it showed slavery in a light that a white director simply had never been able to do. Um, and there's a reason for that. But you right. think about kind of this history of these great race relation movies, you know, you look at something like To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, yeah, but the hero's a white guy. You look at, uh, you know, even a movie like A Time to Kill. Well, yeah, Matthew McConaughey and Samuel Jackson are both great in that movie. But ultimately, the hero is the white guy. He gets the black guy off. Like, the hero tends to be the white guy. Or even in situations where the antagonist, like something like, let's take uh, Crimson Tide, right? It's not an overly racial relation thing, but it certainly had elements of that because you've got Gene Hackman versus Denzel Washington. So there's still, it's in your face like this. One's got authority, the other one doesn't. And now here's a mutiny on a submarine. But at the end of the day, everybody at the end of it basically sides with the Denzel character. So they're telling these stories in ways that that's not actually how this works out. 
So even that whole Golden Girls Blanche example, which is a good example because the monologue that Cheadle gives her is incredible. Yeah, it's great. But the reaction that she gives him, that's not the reaction people are getting when they hear a good monologue. They simply just keep defending whatever they believe. <laughs> so, yeah, well, like, so, so still at the end of the day, we're like, times. oh, look at how great Blanche was. She listened to that monologue, apologized, and now she's a better person. Well, yeah, but that's not really how this stuff is going on. It takes a long time. So even when we see stories like that, there's still this weird heroic ability for the white person to step in and change or step in and help or step in and empower. <laughs> and, you know, so I was just thinking about that. I was thinking about ha having watched that show yesterday, which by the way, I, I recommend people check out because it's, it's wild. Yeah. Um, but I'm seeing this change now and it's amazing the ambition that not only the people producing these projects are having, but the networks like HBO are willing to put a lot of clout behind them and produce these things. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and it's because it's necessary. And I think, you know, that's the beautiful thing about this, this quote-unquote renaissance periods in a sense. So many things prior to this as to what you were saying without saying it were, were so, if at, at best, it was the setup you're talking about. But in, in a lot of cases, it was just straight up whitewashed. Yeah. And, you know, that whitewashing is just, okay, that's cool. Um, and not to say, you know, I, I'll just, I'll use the T'Challa black Jeopardy version of Karen, not, not, not the other Karen. Um, I mean, it's cool to put raisins in my, my proverbial potato salad, but bro, <laughs> we need some other type of spices up in this joint. Give me some Lowry season salt Yeah, for my 12 years of slave. You know, I, and, and I think that that is, I think it's awesome. Um, because again, just like Hamilton, it, it gives such a different view. It provides like a fresh lens and it provides a relevance that some things really probably need in this season. Yeah. Um, and especially relevance in, in, in context and culture of, of the black experience. So yeah. I am a hundred percent for that. Uh, even, you know, the big controversies now, you know, we will hopefully be mentoring, I mean, uh, interviewing a, a mentor of mine, Antipas Harris about his book is Christianity, the white man's religion. And, you know, I think that a lot of America really is not ready for the conversation that involves <laughs> um, the characters in the Bible and who they really were. But that's something that needs to happen as well. And, you know, I mean, there's just, it's really what it comes down to is there are a million myths that need to be debunked. Um, and it's like, again, it's not about conspiracy theories or anything like that. It's it's simply the nature of, of revelation and the truth being told. Yeah, And, um, you know, that's, I think that's one of the main reasons I do like this is because it does, it just, not that it just offers a, a different experience, but also it helps to kind of uh, massage in because these things are so awesome to watch. I mean, 12 Years of Slave was tough. Oof. 12 Years of Slave was good. Yeah. That, that, that's the other part about it, you yeah. know? Um, and, and even the, like the, the, the we were talking about, um, Good grief. Oh, yeah, we were talking about uh, just the the different movies that you've seen concerning all those different cultures or even Bible culture. Yeah. Like, you know, you, you can talk about, you know, all the, the movies from the 1940s, 50s, and 60s where everybody in the Bible was all blonde-haired and blue-eyed and <laughs> geos speak like this because, of course, they speak like this. Yeah, everyone course, spoke like know, Shakespeare. Anybody speak that Anybody <laughs> speak that language in the Bible, man? Yeah. But, you know, um, even Gibson, he, he, he tried 
yeah. when he did The Passion of the Christ. And, and that was actually one of the uh, more significant plays in, um, in that genre is the fact that nobody spoke English. Yeah. They actually yeah. spoke the original that's, languages of the Bible. That's actually so, an example you know, of a pretty powerful yeah, there's, there's, telling. There's, yeah. Exactly. And, uh, you know, there's been some progress in that, man. But, you know, I think to make it more palatable, it's just, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of good for us to kind of get to the point on some of these things now. Yeah. Um, I know in our world, we know people that have most certainly been very, very appreciative of the fact that, you know, the truth is starting to be told and they're actually starting to be able to, to get the real history lesson. Some of them have just been straight up pissed off. They're yeah. mad that they were told one thing their entire lives. And now they're being told something different. So, you know, I think I think it's necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not I think everybody's going to take it that way, <laughs> probably not. Yeah. Probably not. Well, I, but, I have uh, to tell those people something because there's a lot of stuff that I used to think was absolutely true. And uh, the more you dine on <laughs> actual truth, um, the more you develop a palate for it. And it doesn't taste so bad uh, to the point that it's kind of something that, that you start to really desire. Um, you, once you acquire that taste, you have no problem letting go of beliefs that you might even hold dear or deep that you realize are simply not true. Like you realize how freeing that is. And ultimately, that's what Christ is, right? That's why you're so free when you're living in the truth of something. And right. it's, there's this battle on truth right now in so many different ways uh, that's uh, very disheartening. And, and I hope that people start to <laughs> acclimate their palate to the taste Ooh. of truth. <laughs> Ooh, boy, boy, boy. I mean, that's all things. Is, that's the conversation that, that uh, Jesus had in John 8, you know what I'm saying? Like John 8, 32, you know, um, good God, uh, you shall have knowledge of the truth. There's, there, there's our problem there. Um, yeah. Everybody always lives on the predicated end of that verse. It mm-hmm. says, and the truth shall set you free. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. That's great. Well, what's the truth then? Mm-hmm. I'll wait. Yeah, yeah and, and, and that is the conversation that a lot of us are going to have. I've had, a, I've had conversations with folks that I know probably operate in the prophetic better than me. I've had conversations that I know can probably preach a hole in the ground better than me. Um, but we have conversations about stuff like this. Mm-hmm. And they are clueless. Yeah. And it is, it's amazing to me how clueless that they are. Um, and it's just, it, it, it's, it's going to require some things. I think we've, we've, we've kind of beat around the bush long enough without beating around the bush because we, we shall enough have not beat around the bush on this. Uh, but, you know, I think that the, I, I, I've said it before, you know, even with the race conversation and the fact that that's going to take decades to, to redeem and to reconcile. Um, even bigger than that, I think that the conversation concerning uh, the real theology of the gospel, <laughs> I don't even know how long it's going to take. I, I, I just don't. And I can tell you the reason why is because even those who know it best still don't know it all. Yeah. They don't know it enough, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so ooh, we, we may need to just park it on that because that can go down a road. And as it is, I think this is already <laughs> yeah. going to be a two-parter. Yeah. And, and we're already, uh, I think, longer than last week, which we were trying not to do. But, you know, we get going, man, and we can't help it. <laughs> yeah, it's just one of those things, man. You have, you have your information, you know, you 
you speak your information, you bounce information off of information, and then it turns into other ancient. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Yep. And that's how I can tell that I'm, I'm tired because I'm using fake Russian accents. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, we, we need to go and put an nail on this one. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Any, any other insights? No, don't answer that question. <laughs> because we're no. sitting up here. I'm looking at the time right now. I'm just like, oh, I have Lord, none. have mercy. <laughs> Uh, and this is why it becomes a labor of love. So for anybody who was wondering that that's, that's exactly what it is. We vibe and press record and then this happens, Yeah, uh, which I ain't mad at really, really not mad at. Nope. Uh, but I'll tell you what folk for what it's worth, please do yourself the favor of a getting your word, mm-hmm. study the Bible, ask questions, get in groups. Like take this stuff seriously, man. Um, and then also, of course, just remember what this is all about, man. I mean, I, I cannot for the life of me, man, I'm, I'm about to go on a rant, so I just need to shut it down. <laughs> I don't understand how folks don't look at certain Bible verses and just completely uh, forget the substance and, and the context of what the Bible verse is about. You can't look at Micah 6, 8 and tell me that you have issues with, with why people are upset about race in America. You can't look at Hebrews 13, three or one, two or three, probably all three. Um, and tell me that you have a problem with, uh, why people are so upset about the mistreatment of individuals or why mass incarceration is a problem. Like you, you, you can't look at those things and then tell me something that is completely different unless you really don't understand what the Bible is trying to teach us about Matthew 22, 37 through 40, which basically is the two commandments that confirm all the other commandments, love, God, love, people. If you don't understand, that's the, that's, that's the other thing too. So maybe we need to park on, on that because we, we need to revisit. I feel like we need to do an agape project. Like the agape project is basically this. It's a dismissal of how America understands the word love. Because the word love needs to have more than one word. Because in the Greek, it has four words. And they all identify four different types of love in principle. Um, and my favorite way to explain it is just the breakdown of um, everybody goes to weddings. And when you go to weddings, what is the one verse that you hear? Or what's the one passage of scripture that you hear at all times? Uh, I'm going to go with the love is patient. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> First Corinthians chapter 13. Yeah. You know, love is, it keeps no record of wrongs. I will also admit that at most weddings, the pastor can go on too long and you just want to get to the reception. Well, I mean, it depends on who you are. No, but I yeah, just, you're right. that's just an allegory support. for what just happened in the last five minutes when we were shutting it down. I guess, I guess you got a point. But yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm ranting, man. Just call me the bad rapper on this one. Um. But no, I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, let me let me <laughs> let me put a bow on it then. Well, no, because here's my hey, it's your show, that, man. Though. Talk. Hey, you show. got stuff to say? Say it. I mean, I guess you're right. Yeah, but no, here's well, I was almost done, and then you interrupted. No, you weren't. So there's that. And no, I really was. See, watch this. Here's my problem with that. Everybody always uses that passage, but when they take a look at what it says in the Greek, we're talking about eros. That's the love that you would have for a husband and a wife, and brown chicken, brown cow, and let's get it on. The entire passage is agape. And now what do you do with that? And we'll park it right there. Because what is agape? That's unconditional love, which, by the way, it makes perfect sense. But 
in, in the way that they like to define it and confine it in, in a wedding ceremony. Yeah, that's okay. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to shut it down. So, yeah, we just created our two-parter. God bless it. Devin wants to be disrespectful once again. It's all good. I'm used to it by now. I'm just trying um, to hold you accountable because, again, that's the word of the night. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah. Ladies and gents, thank you once again for tuning in. Um, this might even be a three-parter. I don't even know. It won't you be that bad. Call me later. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Uh, but please don't forget to like, share, subscribe. Uh, somebody was nice enough to leave us a, a generous comment in yeah. Apple. So we appreciate you. God bless you. Mysterious um, person. And, thank you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And please, yeah, keep the party going, man, because the stuff needs to be shared, bro. I mean, I'm not biased. I'm just right. Uh, in, in certain instances, you know, if not, then you can email me and tell me otherwise. Uh, but yeah, uh, until then, please continue to be inspired to inspire, even if it's unpopular and you say stuff that's probably going to get you a million hate emails um, because that's what the inspired one does. So until next time, my name is Jordan. My name is Devin. And uh, we appreciate you guys rocking with us. Please don't forget, wash your hands. Wear your mask. Uh, I was going to say important to justice, brush your teeth. Brush your teeth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, got to brush those teeth. That's what's up. Uh, and, we'll, and we'll catch you next time, guys. I love you. Peace. you love us and want us to be successful as we do you thank you once again for rocking with us and remember be inspired to inspire because that's what the inspired one does peace